Hi, listeners. I'm Irene Barton, Executive Director of the Cobb Collaborative, and I welcome you to Mind Your Mind Speaks. This is a podcast series that brings together subject matter experts and community leaders to help raise awareness, share resources, and inspire action through recorded conversations about mental well being topics. Today, we are delighted to be speaking with Diane Hillary, who is the founder and the clinical director of the Atlanta Center for Self-Compassion. Diane, welcome to our podcast. And can you share a little bit about your work at the Atlanta Center for Self-Compassion and the services that you provide? Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we are a, a group psychotherapy practice, and so we offer psychotherapy to teens and adults, you know, for a range of um, issues that people might be seeking therapy for. But our, my larger mission is really to um, spread the word and teach about self-compassion. And um, I think particularly at this time where we are so divided in so many ways in our country, I think compassion is a way forward through that. Um, being able to notice when we're in a place of, you know, comparing ourselves or a competitive mind state and being able to train our brain to come more often from a compassionate mind state. And that really starts with being able to be compassionate with ourselves. So that's, that is my passion and um, what I really, you know, love to share about. Well, I've had the pleasure of participating in some of your, uh, I'll call it standalone workshops, as well as a series of trainings, and they are just wonderful. For listeners who may not realize the various components and how they are intertwined, I feel like there might be a little bit of misunderstanding between mindfulness and self-compassion. And can you help clarify how those are different, but maybe more importantly, how they work together? And is that different from therapy or is it the same? Yes, definitely. I think mindful self-compassion is something that you, a tool that we can practice and utilize without therapy and without meditation. It's really something that can be a day-to-day -day tool that we engage with to help, you know, care for ourselves and lift our mood. And there's lots of research showing that um, practicing mindful self-compassion can decrease things like depression and anxiety, increase our general sense of well-being, our resilience, our ability to cope. Um, and as well as, um, you know, really help in terms of um, burn, like, I love that it works so well for compassion fatigue and burnout for so many of us who, who want to be helpers and caregivers or frontline folks, you know, in all different fields. So just to tease out a little bit, the difference between mindfulness and self-compassion. Mindfulness is basically noticing, um, noticing what's happening in the present moment and, with, and trying to do that without judgment. So our, the, way our, the way our brain naturally works is, you know, I notice I'm, oh, I'm freezing. And there's sort of an inherent judgment in that. Like, I, it, I don't feel good. I don't like this cold. Um, so mindfulness would be saying, I'm noticing, you know, that my skin has goosebumps on it. And it, so it's just sort of like engaging with whatever's happening with some curiosity rather than a quick judgment. And a lot of people think mindfulness is the ability to clear your mind or to, you know, have like just a blank slate. And it's not really that, our, you know, our brains naturally um, are, are all over the place all the time. That's how our brains are evolutionarily designed because they're, they're looking out for danger. 
and sort of scanning for what do I need to be paying attention to? So mindfulness training is more just about noticing what your mind is doing, where it's going, what it's telling you, you know, believing that um, we don't have to be controlled by our thoughts, that our thoughts are sort of sensations of the brain, if you will, and we can notice them and practice getting a little bit unstuck or some space from them and decide, you know, my brain is telling me that that was a really stupid thing to say, but that's kind of a, you know, ineffective thought that just makes me feel bad. So I'm not going to let that thought control my whole day. I think so often people will reflect back on a conversation and whether it might be in a casual setting, like maybe at a networking event or even in a more formal job setting. And we all reflect on that one sentence that we feel was, um, you know, forgive me, but stupid or insensitive. And that's what we remember. We don't remember the 20 other things that we said that maybe really were engaging that brought a smile to somebody's face is that would you agree with that yes definitely and that in psychology um is called the um negative negativity bias in our brain and again evolutionarily that was really helpful to hold on to the one thing that could be threatening so if you think of um the the, the effectiveness or the evolutionarily purpose of shame is to, to make sure that we don't get rejected or kicked out of the group. Because if we, if we are alone, we wouldn't be able to survive. We needed the community to you know, get fed and supported and be safe. And so shame shows up as a way to say, oh, don't do that again, because then someone might reject you or you might be abandoned. But a lot of times it shows up around things that you know, are not necessarily the case, right? Like we said, one thing that maybe didn't land as well as the other 20 things and people are not going to abandon us forever because of that. Um, So that's where I think the self-compassion can really come in is if we can pause and notice, wow, my brain is really stuck on this one negative thing when people gave me a lot of positive feedback about the overall, whatever, you know, public speaking event or whatever it was, um, then we can bring in the self-compassion and uh, the, so there's actually three components of self-compassion that are helpful to kind of conceptualize the idea. Um, and it is mindfulness, common humanity, and self-kindness. So if you think of um, self-compassion is basically that, you know, thinking of the golden rule, do unto others as you would do to yourself. But I feel right. like these days we need to flip it really and say, can I treat myself the same way that I treat other people? Um, So when we notice we're in that self-criticism spiral or a shame spiral, can we pause and say, oh, I see what's happening. And then the common humanity piece is, this is a normal part of being human. You know, this isn't because I'm the worst or particularly, you know, a failure. Everyone, you know, if we had, if we had all the listeners in front of us right now, we could say, um, raise your hand if you've ever, you know, felt like you made a mistake and then you had an hour of thinking about how terrible you are and everyone would raise their hand. Um, so because, because that's a part of being human is that we make mistakes and we have moments of really, you know, a lot of suffering or anxiety, anger. So I think that part is really helpful about it to say, um, yes, you know, I'm in a moment of suffering or shame and that's normal. It's not, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with me. And so can I be kind to myself, you know, in this moment, instead of going down the self-criticism rabbit hole? Right. 
Um, Diane, not everybody can legitimately walk out and call themselves a mindful self-compassion um, therapist or um, practitioner. You've gone through um, some rigorous study and, and practice, right? And I believe one of the co-founders of, of the movement, I don't know if that's the correct word, please correct me, is Dr. Kristen Neff. So can you talk just a little bit about what you have done to get yourself and, and your practice to be, uh, again, apologies, officially sanctioned or officially recognized as a mindful self-compassion center? Yeah, so I did a retreat with Kristen Neff and Chris Germer, and they are the co-founders of the um, Center for Mindful Self-Compassion, which is in California, and the, um, the curriculum as well, they developed the curriculum. And so their basic curriculum is an eight week training course, but then they also do lots of um, one or two day, or now they have a six week that's specifically designed for healthcare professionals. So they're, and they're, I think Kristen recently did something for teachers. So they're really um, trying to adapt it for all different kinds of populations. And there's a model for teens. Um, so I did a week long intensive training with them. And then for their teacher training, they require you to do, um, a week long silent retreat. And then uh, the teacher training, which was another week long intensive with them. And then um, they do, while you're teaching your first round of classes, you um, have different calls with leaders in the program who can you know, follow up and make sure that you're on task. So I'm in the process now of becoming a certified teacher now that I've been teaching for several years. And so that's exciting. Very, very much, very much. Um, and the collaborative family is excited that uh, we get to benefit from your uh, uh, quest of, you know, for yourself and, and to spread the message to the community. Um, Diane, you and I have talked before about our trauma-informed initiative, which is recognizing that really most people have some trauma in, in their life. And unfortunately, 2020 didn't do anything to subtract from that, right? And we're elevating the conversation about adverse childhood experiences, um, but also trying to keep it with positive childhood experiences. But we do know that trauma can happen at various points in one's life. Um, a veteran may have PTSD, uh, a child may witness, um, unfortunately, ab abuse in the home. Um, can you talk about that, um, that intersection? You've already talked about some community sectors like our educators and our healthcare workers who might see victims of this, but can you talk about that intersection of, of trauma-informed or trauma-credentialed um, training and, and how mindfulness can help with that? Yes, definitely. So the, what the research shows is that, um, especially when we have trauma in childhood, which I think doesn't have to just be, sometimes we call them big T traumas. It doesn't have to just be, you know, something that you would think of like um, a sexual assault or physical abuse. Um, I think there are, there's generational trauma. You know, there's research that shows that um, when we have trauma through the generations, it it activates, it's in our genes. You know, it really, sure. mm -hmm. that's what you're saying. You really, all of us have trauma and um, trauma, you know, the ACEs score can impact the, your development. So it impacts, you know, the way our brain forms and how sensitive we are to um, different triggers and stimuli mm -hmm. 
environment. So what is really helpful about mindfulness and self-compassion is that they can impact um, those pieces of us, you know, that um, there's studies about, you know, our heart rate variability, our breathing, all of those things can be connected to um, experiences of trauma. And we might be stuck in, you know, more shallow breathing and our heart rate is not able to be as variable if we've experienced trauma. So there are these real physiological components that, um, that are basically all boiled down to safety. You know, is our, does our body know how to feel safe? And if our body doesn't physiologically know how to feel safe, that means we're more likely to be in that danger mode, which is where our perspective is sort of narrowed and we're stuck in that negativity mindset and we have a lot more self-criticism. And so mindfulness can help us notice those things, notice um, what's happening in our nervous system. You know, I could notice, oh, wow, I'm you know, really stuck in a loop of negative thinking and I can feel my heart rate starting to go faster and my breathing is getting shallower. And so what can I do to hit the reset button? So um, if you think of trauma is about um, a disconnection, basically, the way that our body experiences safety is, is co-regulation. So if I have a caregiver who helps me to feel safe and soothed and responds, you know, is responsive to my needs, then my body learns how to um, calm itself down and how to regulate and how to feel safe. And so we, ha we can mimic that with self-compassion, which I think is, is amazing. You know, just the, the small piece of putting a hand over my heart and, uh, you know, basically with some, um, with some warmth, the things that, the things that particularly can um, get this, this co-regulation going, this feeling of safety in our body is prosody, which is like a warm tone of voice, which you would imagine how you speak to like a child or, you know, how we speak to our pets. Mm -hmm. um, so we can use that tone of voice with ourselves. And then the feeling of warmth and touch also um, contributes to safety. And so we can put a hand over our own heart. And a lot of times when I bring this up, people will be like, oh my gosh, that seems really uncomfortable and cheesy. That's, you know, they imagine um, the Stuart Smalley Saturday Night Live, like you're, you're good enough, you're smart enough. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's this, you know, people just feel like affirmations are woo woo or, mm -hmm. um, you know, not comfortable. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people in the class will say like, this feels kind of repulsive. And so, um, so I think that's, you know, important to, I like the science piece and the physiological piece to say, we are actually able to calm down our own nervous system and help our body feel safer and soothed simply by putting a hand over our heart and by, you know, noticing when we're stuck in self-criticism and using a, a kinder tone of voice to ourselves. And what really strikes me about that, Diane, is that it's, it's scalable across ages. Like you can just adjust the language to help maybe a five-year-old as well as a 15-year-old, as well as a 45-year-old, mm -hmm. um, you know, who might be responding to different circumstances in totally different ways. Um, but those, those soothing touches and, and all those things, and, and hopefully if you're if you start with the five-year-old, then um, he or she can develop some of those coping skills. Yes, yes, I know. Isn't that beautiful? I keep hearing stories of preschoolers doing breathing exercises and think, okay, they will be able to change the world because yeah. they have this built in from such a younger age. Right, yeah. And the other thing about co-regulation is um, it's really helpful to remember that when I, because we have mirror neurons in our brain, that means that I can feel in my body, you know, if you, if I was sitting here with you and you were feeling a lot of sadness, 
my mirror neurons would pick up on that. And I might start feeling some of that in my own body. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means that those are designed to help us have a compassionate response to other people. But what we tend to not realize is that we can also use the mirror neurons to help other people um, regulate themselves by regulating ourselves. So if you were very sad and I started to feel sad, if I comforted and calmed my own nervous system, that would actually be a way to help you because then my mirror neurons would communicate calm and support back to you. And so I love that for a child who's tantruming, you know, I, I can definitely remember my children escalating and me completely escalating with them. And then both of us, you know, feeling we're losing it. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that, oh, if I calm myself down while my child is tantruming and I really focus on, you know, breathing and a hand over my heart and even saying to myself, like, this is really hard for you, Diane, you're doing the best you can. This is a hard moment. Um, then that is such a gift that I'm offering my child to help them regulate themselves. So we could do that as a teacher, as a healthcare worker, as a therapist, regulating our own nervous system is a way to help our loved ones or clients. Absolutely. A different spin on that, um, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first, right? Before you help others. Totally. Um, a, A phrase that I know got a lot of play or you would hear a lot during 2020 as we were so worried about our frontline healthcare workers and and all of that. So, and I think what's helpful about that too, is that we, a lot of times when we say, oh, you need more self-care, it's like, oh, I I don't have time or money to go get a massage or, yeah. and this is something that I can do when I'm in a session, I can take a Mm -hmm. couple on behalf of myself or put a hand on my other hand discreetly. Um, so I think it, it's really powerful training, you know, that if, if frontline healthcare workers can have these skills to, and, and all the research shows that these are skills that you can train your brain to access, you know, more frequently that could really be protective factors for people who see trauma day to day in their work. Right. And might have to carry it or, or deal with it even after they leave the setting. Absolutely. So Diane, say we have maybe a close friend or uh, a family member or, you know, somebody that we're close with, uh, maybe a coworker who we think could benefit from taking some time to learn more about mindful self-compassion. That that could be a little uncomfortable. (laughs) Any recommendations or tips about how we would approach that subject with someone who we, we care about and we think is suffering, but we, and we would we think that they would benefit from this? Yes, I would think that um, sharing sharing from I statements could be helpful. So a lot of times when people take the class, they will come back and say, I find myself you know, wanting to talk about this with everyone now that I'm learning that I can you know, make more peace with this critical voice in my head. So I think if we've had a little bit of time to practice and we have that, we have any bit of experience of like, wow, I was really able to comfort myself with this. Then it's a different way that we can show up to say, um, you know, the other day I was really upset. I was feeling just like you are. I was really self-critical after a meeting and this is what I did. And here's the video where I learned it that way. Um, it's maybe more coming from an eye perspective rather than you should do Mm. this or that, which Mm -hmm. probably not get received as well. Good, good idea. Not just for this, but in other things, right? (laughs) Um, Other, yeah. Boy, I feel so much better when I do drink the um, eight ounces of 
you know, eight glasses of eight ounce water, you know what I'm trying to say, um, a day or, you know, when I eat healthier or don't eat a lot of salty things or something like that. So uh, good tips for overall <laughs> how to approach um, our, the people that we're close to in our lives. Well, Diane, we're um, just about out of time. And our last question, you are just a fount of information and, and resources and, and comfort, to be perfectly frank. Where can individuals reach you or find more resources about mindful self-compassion and specifically the Atlanta Center for Self-Compassion? Thanks for asking. We are online at um, on Instagram and Facebook, and it's at Atlanta Self-Compassion. And then our website is also atlantaselfcompassion.com. I do offer a free online um, self-compassion meditation every Tuesday at 12. And so there's a link to sign up for that in my Instagram bio and in, on the website. You can just look for the free weekly meditation link on the website. And then you'll get an email on Tuesday mornings reminding you how to sign or how to join us on Zoom for that. And then I do have um, the eight-week classes and I'm so excited to be partnering with the collaborative to get the word out there more through newsletters and um, hopefully offering more classes that people can take. It doesn't have to be synchronous. So we've got all kinds of exciting things coming up. Um, so we're working on getting out there more and more. Absolutely. And I believe we're going to be looking forward to uh, receiving a, some digital resources from you in our monthly Mind Your Mind newsletter. So we're very excited about sharing that uh, with our community. Thank you. Great. Well, Diane, it has been such a pleasure to talk with you as always, but particularly today as we did this deeper dive into mindful self-compassion and the important role that it can play in really protecting and helping all of us to, to lead a, a fulfilling life and to manage the, um, the craziness that seems to be our lives even outside of a pandemic, but most, um, most assuredly layer on a pandemic and all the variants that are coming with it, heavens. Yeah. Um, listeners, we thank you so much for tuning in to Mind Your Mind Speaks, and we invite you to watch all of Diane's videos that are on our social media, um, as well as on our blogs. We'll have information from her. Diane, again, our deepest gratitude for all of your support of the Cobb Collaborative and our Mind Your Mind initiative. And listeners, thank you again for tuning in. Thanks so much, Irene. Take care. <laughs>